The text for the sermon is taken from, uh, from the epistle. Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death. Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. I want to first begin with what I have called the myth of mere science or the myth of naive empiricism. Once upon a time, uh, the church dominated everything. And in order to hold on to her power, the church controlled knowledge and information. The church did this by convincing everyone that miracles, events uh, where natural laws were undone were really real. The virginal conception of Jesus, the existence of angels and demons, the resurrection of the dead, as well as the sacraments, are, according to the church, uh, really real miracles. But clear thinkers, independent thinkers, questioned the church's claim. Men like Galileo challenged the superstitions of the church uh, and her control over knowledge and information. Galileo. Uh, was the heroic father of the scientific method who launched a war against the church's magical and unscientific nonsense. And from Galileo onward, through dungeon, fire, and sword, the science, the mother of all truth, has defeated the church, the mother of all superstition. That's basically the the myth uh, of, of of naive empiricism, the myth of science today. Uh, and it is a myth. I mean, after all, Galileo himself was, in fact, actually a Christian who believed in the church and her narratives and her life-giving sacraments. But this narrative of mere science is, and this is one of my main points, this is the fundamental narrative, the fundamental narrative of just about every department of study in colleges and universities throughout the United States and Europe. Fact. It, it, it's, it's interesting that it's more, uh, the uh, myth of science is more the narrative in like the humanities than it is in hard science. But there you go. Uh, whatever school your children attend in the future, it is very likely uh, uh, it, that it, they will assume Science, uh, without defining that, uh, is the final truth. The myth of science is also the fundamental narrative of most Protestant seminaries in the United States and has been for 100 years or more. More. As one historian put it, uh, from amongst their ranks, the Protestant Reformation gave birth to the Enlightenment and that, quote, broke the stranglehold of the Roman Catholic Church on Europe. Uh, so much for objective writing, right? The stranglehold. Uh, in fact, uh, the intentional denial of miracles, uh, uh, that miracles are really real, was all but an article of faith for Protestantism in its very beginning. John Calvin wrote, and I quote, but that gift of healing like the rest of miracles, which our Lord will to be brought forth for a time, has vanished away 
in order to make uh, uh, the new preaching of the gospel marvelous forever. Uh, so why do I go on and on in, in, in about this, about the miraculous? I do so because the text for today, in particular, the text for today about is about holy baptism. And holy baptism bestows upon the child, as the Book of Common Prayer declares, that which by nature he cannot have, which means that it is in fact a supernatural action, uh, and it, which means that holy baptism is miraculous. And that brings us back to one of my favorite subjects, as you well know, the subject of participation. And so we'll say, I want to say some things about that because that is a miraculous state of being. Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? You all with me? No one's fallen asleep yet? All righty, good. In order to clarify the meaning of participation in Christ, we must remind ourselves that we have learned over the years about what it means to be in someone. This is a phrase that shows up over and over again in the Old Testament and the New Testament, what it means to be in someone. And recall that we've talked about our participation in Adam. All of humanity was in Adam when he disobeyed God, and as a result, we have inherited the wounds of the fall. Now, I say wounds of the fall because I want us to try to avoid legalistic thinking, legal metaphors, uh, uh, when we're, uh, which are used way too much in my youth, uh, when it comes to sin and the fall. And I want us to try to think about the fall and about sin uh, in terms of brokenness and sickness. This is the way the Orthodox Church uh, in the East uh, has always uh, far more uh, thought about uh, the fall and about sin. Brokenness and sickness, sickness unto death. And think of our salvation in therapeutic terms, that is in terms of healing. By his stripes we were healed. Exactly right. Remember this. Now, that God called Abraham, so that's original sin. Uh, remember that God called Abraham to fight a, uh, back against sin and against death. And God did that not by giving Abraham a whole load of more co uh, of commandments, but he did it by making him a promise. God made Abraham a promise. It, and... Uh, and his, his promise was uh, that he, God, would use Abraham's family to redeem all of creation. And it would begin with the birth of a son. Even though Abraham was in age well beyond fathering a child, the Bible says he believed God and it was counted unto him for righteousness, which I can tell you what that means is, is that he was then in the covenant. That's what that means. That's all that means. It says it's counted him in, as righteousness. It means that he was then in a covenant with God. Uh, and furthermore, uh, 
that was, it was not just reckoned to Abraham as an individual person, but that reckoning of being righteous and in covenant with God was reckoned of everyone who was in Abraham, in his loins, as the book of Hebrews puts it. Everyone who was participating in Abraham. And that means that all of Abraham's unborn children who were in him, in his body, his seed, were also in the covenant with God. That's what's called the Abrahamic covenant in the Old Testament. That's the Abrahamic covenant. And it's what St. Paul calls the promise. The promise that God made, uh, the promise God made to Abraham was a promise made also to his seed, his unborn children, and by this promise, God enlisted Abraham and his family to begin reversing the disaster of the fall of Adam's sin that had brought uh, death upon all of creation. That is the Abrahamic covenant. What Paul refers to as the promise, as I've said. Now, Jesus was the seed of promise. Jesus, uh, and thus Jesus, when he was born, was a perfection, the finality of the Abrahamic covenant. And it was through his faith, listen to what I'm saying, it was through Jesus' faith, not your faith, not my faith, through Jesus' faith that he then, uh, in his father, that he finalized a new, uh, 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 the covenant. And then it became what we refer to as the new covenant. And the new covenant embraced all mankind. When the word of God was made flesh, God the Father then made a covenant with God incarnate Jesus Christ, his only begotten son, who in his humanity is the seed of Abraham, the promised seed. Now, the work that God initiated in Abraham to bring an end to sin and death came to fruition in the son of Mary, the promise of the new covenant, uh, then reverses uh, uh, the fall. And that promise is revealed to us in our Lord's Prayer in John 17, which I harp on. I know, I harp on it. I talk about it a lot. But let me read a part of this to you. And uh, neither pray, this is what, this is Jesus' prayer to his Father before his, before his uh, arrest uh, in the garden. Neither pray I for these only, that's his, his disciples who were with him, but for those which shall, be, uh, that shall believe on me through their word, that they all may be one as thou, Father, art in me and I in thee, that they may be one in us. You see how absolutely critically important this notion of being in a person is, that they may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me, I in them, thou in me, that they may be perfect, uh, made perfect in one, and that the world may know that thou hast sent me, sent me and, that ha- and hast loved them as thou hast loved me. Now, if you read John 17 this week, which I hope you do, I say that a lot too. Remember that Christ prayed that prayer only minutes before his arrest. That's the last thing that happened 
before he was arrested in the garden. And that is when he consecrated, that prayer is his, the consecration. But even you make a sacrifice, you consecrate the sacrifice first, and then you cut its throat, and you bleed it out. That's the way a sacrifice is, is done. This is Jesus' consecration of himself as a sacrifice. Now, it's clear, is it not, how consequential it is to participate in someone. Now, the question for us then, because we love our children and we love the world, is how, how, how exactly does one participate in Jesus Christ? How are we made to be in the Messiah of Israel? How do we get in? The answer is, listen to what I'm saying. I say this with some apologetic as well because I'm talking about my background, my life, the tradition I was raised in. It does not happen, happen by asking Jesus to come into your heart and to be your Savior. I know that's exactly what I was taught as well, but that's not how one gets to be in Jesus. It's not a bad thing to do. It's a wonderful, it's a conversion experience, but that does not affect your participation in the Messiah of Israel. Sincerity and a desire to grow in Christ Jesus are good things and good and virtuous. If we desire to grow, clo to, to grow closer and closer to Jesus uh, because God is calling us or, and also because we are already participating in Jesus and it's supernatural and that's what our Lord provided for us in holy baptism that's the answer that's how we get in and how our children get in and how everyone else in the world gets in know ye not that so many of us who were baptized into Jesus were baptized into his death now there is one chief function of baptism Holy baptism is the instrument by which we are incorporated into Jesus Christ himself. Through holy baptism, God takes hold of our lives and binds us, uh, our mutual destinies, to the destiny of Jesus Christ. And if you are in Jesus, then his destiny is your destiny. Baptism creates this new relationship between Jesus and the person baptized, the relation of a personal indwelling. Now, as I've said, to go back one more time, if you were raised in a church tradition as I was raised in, then and that doesn't believe in miracles, uh, that miracles are real today, uh, that the age of miracles has has passed, uh, then uh, well, if that's the case, then you have to decide. There has to be some other reason for baptism because baptism, what I've described, is a miracle. And if you don't believe that, you've got to come up with something else. And, and we did. For example, to the church that I was raised in, baptism became a, merely a public profession of faith in Jesus Christ, a public declaration that one's trust is in Christ, and even, even a Christian sign replacing circumcision. But above all, above all, this tradition will make it clear that baptism baptism does not actually do anything to you. And that's exactly what my tradition taught. Are y'all still with me? Okay. 
And probably a lot of you were taught the same thing, that baptism actually affects nothing in your life, that it's really all about you uh, ma making a public uh, profession. It's that baptism becomes your instrument to communicate publicly your faith in Christ. Yes, I, I know I don't have to say this, but I'll say it anyway. Please, please, please understand this. That's not true. That's not true. All the professions of faith in the world, all the resolutions and good intentions to follow Jesus in the world does, do not make you a child of God or enable you to break free from sin and death in a newness of life. But also realize, so that won't do it. Baptism is doing it. And, but here's the other thing. Realize this, that our misunderstanding of a sacrament does not make the sacrament of no effect. That's really important. So y'all are with me? You still with me? You, you're, you're all still with me on this. Okay, I'm serious about that because we can go from thinking, okay, I really misunderstood that. I was wrong about it. My whole church is wrong about it. Therefore, it didn't count. Not true. Not true. That would be like saying, you know, if I, uh, if, if I get a rabies shot and I really don't believe in shots, then a rabies shot doesn't work. That's ridiculous, right? Uh, no, baptism functions regardless of my understanding or misunderstanding. The sacrament of baptism is God's gift to the world, God's gift to the church, and regardless of what one believes about it, it still accomplishes the exact effect that God intended in the first place. That's the end of my sermon, except for the quote. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ Jesus have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither bond or free. There is neither male nor female. For ye are all one in Christ Jesus. And if ye are in Christ, then ye are Abraham's seed and heirs to the promise. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost.